Bibles this morning, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I can't read this chapter without, again, being amazed at uh, the goodness and the greatness of the Apostle Paul and uh, his attitude towards serving the Lord. In the first part of the chapter, it speaks about the fact that he, as a minister of the gospel, had the right to live of the gospel, that is to be supported by the Lord's churches. And yet, because of certain controversy and uh, those that were his enemies and falsely accusing him, uh, as people have done down through the ages, uh, accusing pastors of being in the ministry for the money, that's really about as stupid as uh, anybody could get. They don't know much about it if that's what they really believe. But anything to discredit God's messengers seems to be uh, what a lot of people are looking for. And Paul was not without his enemies. And in order to just make it clear, Paul refrained, at least in this case, this situation, from receiving any support and rather labored by his own hands to support himself. But in verse 16, he speaks specifically about his call from God to the ministry. And he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe it is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Let me ask you some questions this morning to get the wheels to spinning. Uh, What would you do for the sake of, let's say, a good education. You know, a lot of times we overlook the sacrifices that people make by way of getting an education. Even our high schoolers, for example, it takes a lot of work to do a good job at graduating from high school. And then a lot of them, of course, have their sights set on college, and that means a lot of extra work. It means they have to make sacrifices and deprive themselves of other things. And for the sake of getting a good education, 
they can't always do all of the things that other people could. Uh, so there's a price to be paid for that. What, what would you do for your health's sake? Well, some people go as far as to go on a diet. Uh, I haven't gone that far yet. Or exercise. Uh, maybe that's why I'm walking with a cane. I don't know. But, uh, but I've really not been much on exercise and certainly never on jogging. I, I, I haven't figured that one out yet. But uh, I just can't imagine somebody enjoying running down the road somewhere. But uh, for the sake of our health, we, we spend our money buying health insurance, don't we? We make doctor visits, and who enjoys that? Nobody does. But, but for health's sake, we're willing to do that. Uh, we take medicine. We uh, sometimes have to have surgery. Nobody ever just thought, well, boy, I, you know, everybody else having the surgery, I, I want one of those too, you know, I think I'm going to have a surgery. You don't do that because if somebody else does, you have surgery because you need it, and then, of course, sometimes for rehab, uh, you know, after the surgery or whatever the problem might be, for your health's sake, you've got to go through rehab, and that's not a pleasant experience. And then what, what, what do you do? When it comes to children, well, we don't really need to comment as to what mothers do. They naturally, they, they suffer pain bringing the child into the world. And then that's just the beginning because after that, mothers endure a lot of hardships for the sake of their children and do without a lot of things. So their children won't do without of course, dad, he goes off to work and labors to provide for the family. The parents run them all over the country, taking them to activities and things of that nature. It might be a ball game, piano recital, or whatever it is. But for the sake of the children, you do that. And uh, that's, you know, they just mean that much to you. And then uh, what people do for their spouse the one, you know, the one that you love most and for him or for her, whatever the case might be, you'd be willing to die if you really love them. You'd be willing to die for them in protecting them. Uh, and uh, they mean more to you than anything else. So for their sake, you would lay down your life. And then for the sake of your parents, let's just run the whole gamut while we're on the family. You know, there are a lot of folks, they get up to a certain age in life to where they think, all right, well, now I've got some me time. The kids are all out of the home, and now I can relax, and I can just, you know, enjoy life. And about them, you know, mom or dad, they get down, and they need help, and uh and, and all of a sudden, somebody's got to make the sacrifice to taking care of those aged parents. Uh, I'll never forget, we moved Bev's mom down here and right next door to us. And, and Bev spent five years of taking care of her mother. Many of you have done the, the, exactly the same thing. And you do that. Why? Because they're your parents. They're, they're dear to your heart. Then we think about what people do for their country's sake. Uh, here Austin's getting ready to ship out tomorrow, going into the Marines. Uh, I, 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 Brother Ray might disagree with me, you know, being a, a, a retired Marine, but 
I don't know anybody just ever decided they wanted to join the Marines just, you know, to have the experience. Maybe he did, and some do, but most people do because of what? Well, because of the love of their country. And they want to do what they can to make those sacrifices. They go through all of the rigor of uh, the difficult training. They leave their family, their friends. They even risk their lives. They, in some instances, lose their best friends there on the battlefield and uh, make all of those sacrifices for the love of their country. And then there are those that, uh, that for the sake of the church, are willing to do things that are, well, unimaginable whenever we think about the suffering of the saints of old. And uh, Brother Wesley was telling me he found Fox's Book of Martyrs the other day, and he's reading that now. If you've ever read it, you know what I mean. To think about the horrible suffering the saints went through for the sake of the church. And let me tell you, not all of those heroes are dead. We've got folks nowadays, the faithful few that are in churches that are willing to make great sacrifices they're willing to do without, if need be, for the sake of the church. And boy, as a pastor, whenever you look out on a congregation and you know there are men and women there that for the sake of the church, they're all in. This isn't entertainment for them. It's not fun and games for them. They understand the importance of the church and they're willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the church. But there's one question above all others that we need to consider. For the sake of all of those things, we make amazing sacrifices. But the real question is, what would you do for Christ's sake? What would you do for Christ's sake? So many times we use that, we use that term, and sometimes in ways that we shouldn't use it. But so many times we use that without ever thinking about what it really implies. For the sake of Christ. Uh, well, you can get a good hint at what you will do, but what you are doing or what you've been doing. Because as I think it's Dr. Phil says, the best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. In other words, you know, what you would do for the cause of the church is pretty well indicated by what you've been willing to do. So unless something changes, you just keep doing what you've been doing. And uh, that's not always the right thing to do because a lot of folks, even for the sake of Christ, are not willing to do what the Bible demands. And the Bible's very clear about this. We don't have to wonder, you know, what God expects from us because He tells us He stipulates the demands of discipleship and it makes it perfectly clear that if we're going to be a disciple, it's going to cost us absolutely everything in the sense that we have to put everything else secondary to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of honorable vocations in this world today. And, and nobody needs to hang their head in shame because they're not a pastor or not a missionary. Uh, God uses all kinds of people. 
We think about the farmer, for example. Where would we be without the farmers? Thank God for farmers, you know, that are willing to, to, to provide for our, for our nation. Uh, we think about other uh, different vocations that people are involved in, and whether it's a mechanic, whether it's a banker, whether it's a lawyer, well, that might be an exception, but... Uh, no, no, really. Thank God for godly lawyers. And uh, you see, there's respectability in all of that. But whenever, whenever Paul mentions the fact that in his case, that God had called him into the ministry and that his number one main job was to preach the gospel, let me tell you, that is infinitely better than any other thing that we could even imagine nothing could be more important than preaching the gospel and we 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 need to believe that we need to understand that whatever our vocation is whatever it is that we're doing in life you're not an apostle you're not a pastor you're not a missionary in that sense of the word but all of us have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no doubt about how Paul felt about this issue. Now, notice what he says, in, for example, in verse number 22. He says, To the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak, and I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And notice, and this is our text, For this I do... For the gospel's sake, for the gospel's sake, that's what we're talking about this morning. Here we see that there is a God-given mission, a God-given mission. And we all have a mission from the Lord because he tells us in Matthew chapter 28, before he ascended back into heaven, he tells us that He has sent us, what, into all of the world. To do what? To preach the gospel. To teach all nations. To, that is to make disciples of, out of all nations on the earth. And so we have this awesome responsibility, this wonderful privilege of sharing the gospel with others. That is our mission in life. And uh, what we forget sometimes is that in the doing of that, it subjects us to great hardships and difficulties. It certainly did with the Apostle Paul. Look over in 2 Corinthians for just a moment. 2 Corinthians, and I want you to notice beginning in, in, in chapter number 4, and here Paul is enumerating some of the difficulties that he went through during the ministry. And this is just one small section of many that that can be found verse 8 he says we're troubled on every side yet we're not distressed we are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed always not just occasionally but always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body for we, we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. There you have that phrase, for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. 
In other words, he's telling us that his commitment to the mission, the commission that the Lord gave, was a costly matter. It, you know, it, it wasn't like everybody welcomed him wherever he went. It wasn't like that he was financially supported by all of the churches. He was despised. He was beaten. He was in prison. And so there's a high price for serving God. And although here in America, thank God for the laws that protect us, if we're serious about serving God, there's a price to pay. Because if we're serving the Lord, we can't always do all of the other things that, uh, you know, that our neighbors might enjoy. The other things that we would enjoy were it not for the fact that we're involved in the Lord's work. And Paul says, woe unto me if what? If I preach not the gospel, you see. And there's no reason for us to even be here on earth if we're not going to be carrying out the commission that the Lord gave us. I mean, this is our God-given mission. It's true of every Christian, the responsibility. But notice there's a God-guided method to all of this. And the reason I read verse 22 where he says, I became all things to all men. And you'll notice that he's been dealing with this issue of different classes of people. He mentions the Jews, for example. He mentioned those that are without the law. That would have reference, you know, to, to the Gentiles, those that did not receive the law of God. And, and he's talking about the fact that in dealing with those people that he, he took into account their particular culture. And, you know, if it doesn't require us to compromise God's Word, we are to show respect for the various cultures around us. And a great deal of his letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians both, deals with this issue. Uh, for, for example, when it comes to the eating of meat, there were some folks that was really confused about that. And, and, you know, for good reason, because some of them had been delivered, saved from uh, heathen worship. And so consequently, they were confused whenever all of a sudden here these other Christian people would go down to the place called the Shambles. That was the marketplace. They'd go down there and they would, you know, buy a good cut of meat and take it home and have a Texas barbecue and enjoy it and and they were saying, how can you do that? After all, that meat had been offered up to idols. Those heathen down there, they brought it. And what they didn't use in their sacrifices, they sold in the shambles. And you went down and bought it. And, and Paul went to great length to point out the fact that there's nothing wrong with, with eating that meat. They're not in violation of any law. But then he makes a remarkable statement in chapter number 10 when he says, but... And he's speaking about his own personal conviction. He says, but if eating meat makes my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat while the world standeth. I, and, and in other words, I, I'll, I'll do without. Now think about that. Somebody willing to deprive themselves of something that is lawful. I mean, there's not a thing in the world wrong with it. But if it's going to put a stumbling block before somebody else... He says, I'd rather do without it. I don't want to be a hindrance to someone else. 
And this is an important principle for us today. Even though we're not involved in that issue, we need to understand that we're dealing with people from different cultures. Even here in America, we're all raised different. I look back and think about how I was raised and even uh, think about, and, and by the way, Bev's family wasn't rich or anything, but they were they were rich compared, you know, to, to the, the way it was for us. We didn't have indoor plumbing, didn't have, for a long time, didn't have any water inside the house. You had to go out and get it, and, and uh, we had the old linoleum on the floors. I mean, that old kind that roll out, and you know, uh, well, you know what I mean, and uh, hound dog laying in front of the in front of the stove and stuff like that. And boy, Bev's mother, she was a, uh, she, she just kept a spotless house and everything. So uh, I had to be behave entirely different when I was there than when I was at home, you know. But pe- people are different, even here in America. Now, I haven't lost my mind, I don't think, not yet. And I'm not off track. I'm going to make a point. Paul is saying, I'll go to this extreme measure so as to not offend someone else. Because you just might be offending someone that is on the fence as to whether they're going to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And naturally, their number one excuse back then, just like it is today, well, they're just too many hypocrites. Too many hypocrites in the church. Paul tried to eliminate every possible excuse in his manner of life. And the point is, folks, that common courtesy is absolutely critical to us communicating one with another. Just common courtesy. And every week, I'll guarantee you, not a week goes by, but what you don't see some example of somebody showing disrespect for somebody else And it's not always someone of a different culture. It's not always someone that, you know, is a stranger. Sometimes we treat the members of our own family that way. Our own flesh and blood relatives we treat like, well, bad. You know what word I want to say. But I'll just be real nice this morning and say just we just treat them bad. We don't show the proper respect. And why in the world is it, you know, that we can go to work and show respect, you know, for the boss there, or we can go down to the courtroom and show respect for the, for the judge there, uh, but then we get around those who ought to love the most and we just treat them like dirt. And, and, and it, it, it's sad, and, and if we'd realize the harm and the damage that it does to the cause of Christ... If we had rethink this and understand that we have a responsibility, there are going to be people come in and visit us. We don't call them visitors. They're our guests. But they're going to be visiting us, and they come from an entirely different church background. In a lot of cases, they've never even heard of some of the things that we major on. It's all new to them. When we say, talk about we don't use anything but the King James Version of the Bible, and you know they, they they don't have a clue what in the world why that would be an issue at all. 
and simply because they've never studied the issue as to what the difference is between the King James and the, all, all this modern-day trash that they're putting out today that's, that's not correct. Now, we have a responsibility to show people respect even though we don't agree with them. Being right doesn't give us the right to be rude. And it's important when we think about the ministry of the church and us trying to reach people, reach souls for the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand that there is a God-guided method to all of this and that we, as Paul said in the book of Philippians, that we consider others better than ourselves. Let that sink in for a little while. How many times do we do that? Usually, we look at the other person and, you know, our first consideration is, well, I'm, I'm better than they are in some way or another, and we want to major on that area, of course. And Paul said that we ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to think more highly of them than we do ourselves. Now, that brings us down to the main point of the message, and that, verse 23 there is a God-glorifying motivation. A God-glorifying motivation. And this I do. Notice, for the sake of the gospel. For the gospel's sake. Paul, listen, when Paul preached, he didn't hold back anything. Nobody could accuse Paul of being a compromise. He didn't cut corners. It wasn't within him to say, look, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm going to leave this out and leave that out. I mean, he just opened up with both barrels and preached the truth. But he preached the truth in love, and, and, and he never failed to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. And at the same time of doing that, he was always considerate of others, even those that he disagreed with. He was considerate and respectful, you see. And it's important that we understand that. I always think about Hudson Taylor and the great way that God used him. And so whenever he, he was the founder of the China Inland Mission and, and he wore a pigtail and he dressed like a Chinaman, but he preached the truth. He did that because of the culture there. And he, it was more acceptable to the people. You know, it was not, not a big deal to him, but it was a big deal to them. And so he adapted in order that he might be able to win them. You know, there are a lot of things, and a lot of times we jump to conclusions. We have had a member of the church that's uh, no longer here, but some of you will know who I'm talking about, and I'm going to mention this because it fits in, I think. But this fellow wore an earring. I don't recommend that men wear earrings, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but he wore an earring. And, and I'm certain that there are some people that, you know, that might have... Uh, might have misjudged him as to why he wore that earring. And so one day he told me the story. And it's a, it's a long, complicated story, but it had to do rather with him not wanting to offend somebody 
that he cared deeply about and was concerned about in their relationship with the Lord. And he did that to make a point and prove to them that I care more about you than whether or not I wear an earring. And so I'll just wear the earring to show you that, uh, that I really do care. Now, the natural tendency would be to criticize somebody like that without ever knowing the story. I don't know any preachers wear pigtails today and dress like Chinamen, but Hudson Taylor did. Why? Because he was so concerned about those people that he was willing to do whatever it took to not be offensive. That is having a passion for other people. Uh, and, and when Paul mentions this, that I do this, I, he, he said, I've made myself a servant to all. And if you look back earlier in the chapter, verse number 12, he said that he, he's willing to suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Willing to suffer all things. Uh, most of us are looking for ways to get out of suffering. Paul subjected himself willingly to suffering. Why? Well, he tells us it was for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And by the way, the gospel is Christ. It is a person. It's not just a plan. The gospel is a person. And when Paul says, I do this for the gospel's sake, he's telling us here what, what prompted his actions. He's telling us what his, what his motive was. And let me tell you, motive matters to God. Whenever, whenever the Bible tells us to do all things for the glory of God, God meant exactly what he said, that whatever it is that we're doing, we don't do it for personal praise. We don't do it just to get the attention of others. We don't do it for the income that we might receive. We do it for the one main reason that it'll bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. The question then becomes, for what sake are you living for? For what sake? Paul is saying, everything I do is for the gospel's sake. He's saying, that's what motivates me. I love what Teddy Roosevelt said many years ago. He said, no man is worth his salt who is not ready to risk his body, to risk his well-being, to risk his life for a great cause. He was right, but the cause better be just. And the cause for us as Christians is for Christ's sake. You see, if we are determined, if we make Christ the chief cause for what we do and why we do it, then there's no job that is insignificant. No job. Whether you're back there like Bubba working in the sound room now or you're someone working over in the nursery, whether you're like Daniel, driving the van and picking up people on Sunday morning, teaching the Sunday school class. There's no job that is insignificant. You're doing it. You're doing it. Why? For Christ's sake or for the sake of the gospel, however you want to phrase it. Not only that, but there's no duty that is unimportant. So many times, you know, 
we think about these musicians and what have you, and I thank God for each and every one of them. And, and so many times that, you know, they don't get the credit that they deserve. They, you know, you just tend to overlook people like that. It's easy to see, you know, somebody standing up here front and center and all eyes are on you. But let me tell you, it, it's those that are working behind the scenes. There's no duty that is unimportant. There's no command that is grievous. It's what the Bible says. His commandments are not grievous. How many times people, whenever they think about serving the Lord as being some great burden to them, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this or do that because I, you know, that's what good Christians do. I guess I'll have to do this. The Bible says that His commandments are not grievous, and they're not grievous whenever we do what we do for the sake of the gospel. And there's no challenge that is too great when our chief concern is for the cause of the gospel. We do it for the sake of the gospel. Then there's no challenge that's going to be too great, no sacrifice that's too great. There's no day of our life that is without a purpose. There's no work in the world that is more satisfying. Whether you're pumping gas, sacking groceries, or whatever you're doing, when you're doing it for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. When you're doing it for that reason, there's nothing more satisfying than that. By the way, there's no suffering that is worthless. Amen. So many times we think, well, you know, boy, I was sick last week and I missed five days of work. Uh, uh, boy, it really, really cost me something. Now, sometimes suffering can be the most profitable thing that happens to us. So that God, in putting us flat on our back, causes us to look up to Him. Because in our sickness, all of a sudden we realize our weakness. And it's out of our weakness that we have this sense of our great need of God. No cause in the world is more rewarding than to know that it's for the sake of the gospel that you do everything in life. By the way, everything we receive from God was what? It was for Christ's sake, right? That's the reason God saved you. It's for Christ's sake. It wasn't anything you did. You didn't deserve it. For Christ's sake, He saved you. For Christ's sake, He's provided every need you have. For Christ's sake. And since we received everything we have for Christ's sake, then everything we do ought to be for Christ's sake sake you know what we wouldn't do for any other reason we ought to gladly do for Christ's sake without any complaint whatsoever for Christ's sake and Paul is letting us know here in no uncertain terms that I do all of these things I've made myself a servant not to just a select few I've made myself a servant to all and I'm willing to suffer any hardship, endure any trial, go any place, do anything. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Can you really honestly say this morning, it is for the sake of the gospel. It is for Christ's sake that I have dedicated my life and everything I, I try to do is for Christ's sake. 
And it makes a big difference because all of a sudden you're going to realize you don't need the appreciation of other people to keep you going. You're glad to get it whenever you have it. It's wonderful. It's encouraging. But when you don't get it, when other people are disrespectful to you, they don't show you the common courtesies of life and you're subjected to difficulties and even in some cases ridicule, if you're doing what you do for Christ's sake, what they do won't make any difference. You'll keep right on. I mean, Paul was unstoppable. There wasn't anybody going to deter him from doing what he knew was the most important thing in all of the world, and that is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out to others. And let me tell you, that's still the same today. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, please understand that when Jesus died on that cross, all of the suffering and the agony that he went through, which is far more than our minds can even imagine, when he was separated there from the fellowship of the Father, when he endured hell, as it were, for every man, woman, boy and girl on the face of the earth, it is for his sake that God is willing to save you. He has made us accepted in the beloved. For his sake, God's willing to save you this morning if you'll trust him. And we pray that you will. We pray that you'll this very morning put your trust in him and, and be saved and leave here determined to share that message with others. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness. How we thank you for what you've done for Christ's sake. How we thank you, Lord, for what you've promised to do, the glory that awaits, the inheritance that is sure, the blessings that are yet to come, not because of what we have done, not because of what we might do in the future, but all for Christ's sake you've made these things available. And Lord, I just pray this morning if there's those that are strangers to your saving grace, that, Lord, today they might put their trust in Christ and be saved. And may those of us who have been saved, may we examine our hearts. And, Lord, may we be honest this morning as to what we've been living for, the purpose, the reason, the motivation. And, Lord, if we've been off track, I pray that when we leave here this morning that we'll be determined, as Paul was, to say, for the gospel's sake, for no other reason but the sake of the gospel of Christ, I'm going to be willing to live my very best and to love others and to show them the way to Christ. For we pray in His name. Amen. Let's stand together while we sing. Page number 433.